1: Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
0: This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz presented by Bett Rivers.
2: And oh, Cruz, another hit. That'll bring in Vogel back. What a night for the young stars to shine. O'Neal Cruz, four, runs batted in. AT&T Sportsnet, Greg Brown, the call. Every now and then you have a day like I did last night and you walk away saying, ah, I really nailed it. But then 10 minutes later, you stop and you say to yourself, why didn't I bet more? And then you just get pissed off. I'm Tim Benz, this is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Glad you're with us here on a Tuesday. Brian Metzer joins us later to talk hockey, but we start with baseball because Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook is inviting you to add some variety to your baseball bets with new same game parlays. Every game this baseball season, you can combine game bets and player props to create your perfect Bet Rivers combination. Whether you are looking to increase your payouts on favorites or make your own long shot, you can add a little spice to your game with same game parlays at Bet Rivers Online Sportsbook. Download the BetRiver Sportsbook app and make your baseball same-game parlays today. I've got one for you coming up in just a little bit. And to be honest, I, I don't even know how much I'm going to bet today. I probably will. I, I've talked myself into one or two, but I had such a good night last night, I was considering just letting it simmer for a while. I had the over in the Pirates, Bucks win 12-1. I had the under in the Brewers-Cardinals game with Corbin Burns and Miles Mikolas pitching, Brewers win 2 nothing. 0 And then came the creme de la creme, something we even talked about on the podcast yesterday. I parlayed Garrett Cole, Shane McClanahan, and Corbin Burns all at over 7.5 strikeouts. Cole had 12 and almost pitched a no-hitter. Burns had 10 in 7 innings of shutout ball against the Cardinals. And McClanahan checked out with 8. So that one hit at plus 500. You're welcome. I'll tell you what, though. The one that really had me sweating was the Pirates. They got out to a 7-0 lead so fast. All I thought was, oh, man, they're going to screw me at 8.5. You watch. It looks like it's such a lock. It's not going to be a lock. And I waited to play it. It had been at 8. It went to 8.5. I played it anyway. Then it started to pour in the sixth, just teeming with rain. I'm like, oh, no. They're going to rain it out, and the under's going to hold, and the game is going to be official. To make it worse, the Cubs got one while it was raining to truly rub it in, so I thought it was just going to sit at eight. But sure enough, the rain went away. The Buccos pounded through with five more and made it a perfect night. Thank you, Pirates. Thank you, O'Neal Cruz. How about the other kid, too? Cruz went two for five, but that Madras recorded three hits during the beatdown of the Cubs at PNC Park. That makes him just the 10th player in franchise history to accomplish that feat. According to franchise statistical research, it's the first time a Pirates player had three hits in his debut since Jason Kendall in April of 96. The only other Pirates player to do that since 1940, well, two of them actually, Sam Khalifa in 1986 and Bobby Del Greco in 1952. The Pirates today, they are at minus 155 as favorites over the Cubs. The over-under is at 9 at minus 106. Boy, Pirates 155 as a favorite anytime. I don't know about that. But, yeah, they are playing better than Chicago. And there does seem to be a little bit of juice about the young guys who have been called up. So, what the heck, especially if you're going to the game. Throw a few down on the Pirates. Not quite sure on the over-under there. Now, as for Cole, I mentioned him earlier. An ex-Pirates pitcher, of course, he takes a no-hitter into the eighth before Isaac Paredes shoots the ground ball up the middle to open up the eighth. Cole leaves the 2-0 lead. Fellow former Pirate Clay Holmes blew the lead, yielding two runs. It was a rare bad outing for Holmes, who still has an ERA of 0.55. However, New York won 4-2 anyway, scoring twice in the ninth at 50-17. The Yankees have the best record in Major League Baseball, do you want to go with yet another Rays-Yankees under? I was torn there yesterday. I stayed away. That's four unders in a row now with these two teams, though. Nestor Cortez pitches for the Yankees, and we don't know yet for the Rays, so that game isn't up on the Bet Rivers app, but I'm going to be really interested to see where they put the line on that one for the over-under, if it's at 6.5 again like it was last night. Also, if you want to continue with the strikeout theme, Those three guys I mentioned before McClanahan has 113, Burns 110, Cole 103. They're 1 2 3 in Ks. Dylan Cease is fifth. He's got 97. He faces the Blue Jays, and Kevin Gossman, he's pitching there too with 80 Ks and a 321 ERA. Cease is at minus 106 to go over seven and a half strikeouts. It's under nine at minus 115, and the White Sox are at plus money at plus 108 with Cease on the mound. That in-game three-leg parlay pays out at plus 420. That's what I'm going with. Cease over on the strikeouts, 7.5, under 9 at minus 115. White Sox win at plus money at plus 108. Now, as for hockey, a good move for all of you who got in on the bounce-back vibe of the Tampa Bay Lightning. They breezed to a 6-2 to win last night in Game 3. Game 4 is going to be a war. The Avs win in 5, I think, if they can claim Game 4. If the Lightning win Game 4, I see this one going to 7. Avs in 7, that would be fine. I have the Avs winning the series after all. Meanwhile, if you want to get in on the con Smythe in favor of the Lightning, Stamkos is at plus 2,000. And after last night, I think he's up to 10 goals now. If the Lightning win, him being the number one star last night, don't rule that man out. I'm telling you. That might be a smart bet, more hockey with Brian Metzer. I'll run that idea of plus 2,000 for Stamkos as the Smythe winner past Metz. But whatever I make gambling on baseball and hockey, I'm going to spin around and bet on the under for 1,300 yards receiving for Chase Claypool. Why? Well, that's the prediction he made on Brandon Marshall's I Am Athlete podcast. 1,300 yards and 10 touchdowns too. Here's the clip from the podcast with Claypool sitting down with Adam Pacman-Jones, Brandon Marshall, and Shady McCoy. Listen to Claypool, who makes more than just a prediction on his yards and touchdowns. He says he's going to be a top 3-5 to five receiver in the National Football League. I understand I'm not normal. I feel that way when I'm on the field. I, understand, I know for a
1: fact I'm not like... The rest the rest right. of the guys in the yeah, NFL. Talk talk, yeah. I know I'm a top five receiver. Yeah. I know I'm a top three receiver. Yeah. I'm a, mm. you know, I'm like, keep going, yeah, we Keep it. going. Right. When I'm working, I'm like, oh, you know what I'm saying? I'm a dog. Like right, I am right, right, right. a dog with people line up across from me too. And I just gotta bring that confidence and I gotta bring that spirit and I just gotta show the people. And uh it's gonna happen. And we're gonna rewind this and we're gonna see this clip in, in a little bit and they're like, damn. Can we see numbers? Right. Can I hear some numbers? Yeah, we're going to go 13, 100, yeah. 10 plus.
2: Claypool better hope his offseason prognostication skills have gotten better from last summer. Prior to the 2021 campaign, he told the NFL Network that he was expecting to score 14 touchdowns. He also said that, quoting here, humbly speaking, he'd be in the top 60 to 65 of the NFL Network's top 100 list. He wound up with two touchdowns. Not exactly top 60 material in the NFL. If Claypool is going to work his way into the top five or top three of NFL-wide receivers, then you got to ask yourself, which of these superstars in the NFL are going to be bumped down the list of receivers to make room? Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel. There's your top five in terms of receiving yards. The next five, not counting Mark Andrews, who's a tight end, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Tyler Lockett, and his own teammate, Deontay Johnson. Or how about D.J. Moore? He'd be the 10th receiver. Yeah, I don't see Claypool passing any of those guys either. I mean, even maybe Johnson. That's especially since touchdowns were the only category where Claypool's statistical production dipped in his second season. As a rookie out of Notre Dame, Claypool scored 11 times in 2020, only to see that pace drop by 9 in 2021. That was in 16 games during 2020. Claypool played 15 games in 21. His receptions dropped from 62 to 59. His yards dipped from 873 to 860. He caught five fewer first downs as well. So given that he played one fewer game, Claypool's numbers were essentially flat to slightly down in just about all areas beyond touchdowns. That made this next quote from the podcast as quizzical as the first one.
1: I'm going to say my second year, I was a bet. I was a better football player than I was my first year. Mm-hmm. The plays just didn't, you know, just didn't work out right. Yeah. Some of the plays didn't go my way. I didn't make some plays in the MA. But as a football player, understanding the game, knowing what to do, knowing where to be, um, you know, I was better.
2: By what means exactly was he better last year? It certainly wasn't numerical, based on that ill-timed pose, and point in Minnesota, I'm not assuming that understanding of score and situation is what Claypool means either. And how about those eight penalties he received during 2021? Only Johnson had more among NFL wideouts with nine. Claypool only had one as a rookie. So where was he better exactly in year two? Confidence is a good thing for NFL players. False bravado is not. The Steelers have tended to specialize in the latter, For the past five years, Claypool has been part of that problem. So let's see if his crystal ball is a little bit more accurate in 2022. Even if it isn't, that may not be so bad for Claypool. He doesn't have to be a top three pass catcher in the NFL for me to suggest he's had a success in 2022. Given the presence of Johnson and Pat Fryermuth and George Pickens, the rookie out of Georgia, and the receiving skills of running back Najee Harris, I'd settle for Claypool being a top-three receiver on his own team, and that might be good enough for me. We'll get back to hockey with Brian Metzer, the Penguins Radio Network, though. When we come back, you can hear him pregame, postgame, intermissions, and on Penn's Live Weekly with Paul Steigerwald as well during the Penn season. But he stays with us through hockey season. Brian Metzer is next here in the Pittsburgh CityCast, brought to you by Bett Rivers. BetRivers Sportsbook is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, BetRivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com today to sign up. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh Must Be 21 Gambling Problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, you hear the music in the background, Brian Metzer. Fresh back from Sonic Slam featuring Tom Kiefer, the lead singer, the frontman of Cinderella, the Tom Kiefer band, Faster Pussycats, L.A. Guns. Metzer was there last night in Greensburg. Sonic Slam was rescheduled from earlier this month to Monday night. Metzer adjusting his schedule to go, adjusting his schedule to be here with us, waking up after a groggy drive back from Greensburg, which in and of itself is a feat, Brian, um how was
0: the show how did Tom Kiefer sound Uh first of all the show was good you know and it, it's a it takes you back to the sunset strip tim you know you're you're feeling like you're in Los Angeles and the drive home from Greensburg feels just like a flight back from LA that's how how long it takes <laughs> but uh let me tell you uh the show was good Tom Kiefer sounded pretty good he he looked a little weird I don't know if he's had you know some some work done or something but and when I say weird it's just like he had like a A scowl on most of the night and he seemed kind of like I I don't know the best way to describe it it was like he, he was perfect in singing all of his songs perfect in playing his guitar yet he looked almost like he was like catatonic in like some sort of I'm locked into this show kind of way but his band was solid he sounded good uh every song sounded like you'd want it to sound I was very impressed with LA Guns as well Tracy guns looked really good. Uh, he, you know, obviously could have been a member of guns and roses, but it didn't work out. He was one of the original players back with Axel whenever they had Hollywood rose back in the day. So it's always fun to see these sort of uh, Hollywood icons as they, they are still doing the work out there, but they, that was a fun band to see. Ace Von Johnson is a guy that I follow. He follows me back on Twitter. He plays the other guitar in LA guns. Now he's a, an animal rights activist in terms of pit bulls and, does a lot of good work in that way but he was a fire plug on stage and then of course what really lured me in because I like those two bands but I love Faster Pussycat I've always been a fan and they were solid they only got to play eight songs but they were really good up there and um, that was a lot of fun to see as well so all three bands really harkening back to the 80s and let me tell you Tim the best thing for me was there was um, a little girl kind of beside me with her mom in, in the aisle where I was sitting and She couldn't have been 11 or 12. I couldn't really get a a good gauge on. But she had a fur fur cowboy hat on with lights on it. And she was singing every single song. She knew all the words to every song. So it gave me hope for humanity because no kid today is listening to Sunset Strip hair metal from the 80s. And this this young lady knew all the words and was having the time of her life. Her mother said Tom Kiefer is her favorite artist, believe it or not.
2: Well, it is Greensburg, so I guess if anywhere that's going to happen, it's going to happen there. (laughs) Now, to your point about Tom Kiefer having a permanent scowl on his face, he is from the greater Philadelphia area. Is he pissed off about the John Tortorella hire, by chance?
0: He might be, you know, um, he just—I would be if I was him. And I guess John Tortorella has sort of a perma-scowl as well, so maybe he's just getting in the mode, and that's his way of paying homage.
2: That could be it. I could be looking at this through the wrong lens. This could be his appreciation for Tortorella coming on board. Because I imagine this is going over huge in Philadelphia. They must love this guy. Um, As Mark (laughs) Madden pointed out on the podcast on Monday, Matt Larkin with the tweet of the decade when he said, the only thing that would be more on brand than the Flyers hiring John Tortorella is if San Jose hired an actual shark to be the head
0: coach. (laughs) That's tremendous. I, you know what? Whenever I heard that that hiring had occurred, I just, I shook my head, and I just pictured, um, you know, the the Grandpa Simpson, you know, coming in and going right back out, because that's exactly how NHL coaching carousels go. These guys go out, they come right back in, they go right back out, and DeBoer,
2: Cassidy, life, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I just don't understand it. I mean, it, it's, I get it. I mean, these guys have had success, but a guy like Torts. You know, people rip on on guys saying, oh, their success is five and six years ago. Well, Torts is largely living off of a Stanley Cup that he won two decades ago almost at this point. Well,
2: Brian, he's and only been to the playoffs. Well, not been to the playoffs. He's only won a playoff round four times, right?
0: <laughs> I think you're right about that. And, hey, it culminated in a Stanley Cup, Tim. So um that that's good enough for him but it just it's weird to see that happen and you know what's gonna the Tom Kiefer thing is he knows that the Flyers will probably have a year or two of being decent and they'll say boy he's getting a lot out of these young kids but by year three the kids will yeah they will have turned on him and he will be out the door and they'll be back to square one trying to get this all resolved the interesting thing will be to see if Chuck Fletcher gets the can before John Tortorella, and then the new GM gets to fire John Tortorella. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, one thing to throw out there was Brandon Dubinsky. Did you see his tweet after Tortorella was hired? Yeah, pray he, for the Flyers. <laughs> I didn't realize he was that down on him. I mean, he played for him in a couple different capacities, and uh, I thought that, that was you know they were friendly. But based on that, I'm guessing maybe not so much.
2: Well, Cam Atkinson made it look like it was the greatest thing ever.
0: Yes. Well, he, he had some uh, semi-decent success under him until he was required to play a lot of, you know, not focus on the part of his game that he was good at, <laughs> which is a Tortorella a staple. You know, you're a good offensive player. It's almost Terry and you know, Yeah, yeah, let's crush your defense. soul. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to be a good offensive player anymore. You're going to play a complete game until we trade you away for an old guy.
2: The myth of Tortorella as a turnaround coach as well kind of makes me laugh. He's not like a one-year turnaround guy. It takes at least a year. If you look back, he didn't get it done in a year in Vancouver. Uh, The Rangers, they actually lost two points from where they were the year before when he took over. I think it took about a year and a half uh, from Tampa Bay for him to start in the first place. So, I don't think... If the Peng- Let me put it this way. If the Penguins don't make the playoffs next year, it's not going to be because the Flyers bumped them out. Let me let me frame it that way.
0: No, they will be coming back to the Flyers' pack and hanging with them on the outside looking in, uh, if, if that's the case. But it won't be, t- to your point, it won't be because the Flyers knocked them out with John Tortorella. Now, I do feel that Tort's got some interesting juice from the Columbus Blue Jacket orange for a while there. Uh, he seemed to get some greater success than that team probably should have had, but it still didn't culminate in any sort of playoff success. And really, the year that they had their best season under him, wasn't it all largely, it just looked better than it was because of that insane winning streak in the middle of the season. Other than that, they were pretty much ho-hum overall.
2: Brian Metzer, Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Let's get to the finals, Metz, and what we saw. Well, I know you were at the concert. I don't know how much you are able to catch up on, but 6-2, to two, final score the Lightning. Yeah. They just can't be killed. They're not going to go out quietly. And well, let me let me kind of uh, address it from this standpoint. The first game was an overtime win for the Avalanche where they got out hot. The Lightning came back. The Avs won an OT. And then you've got a blowout in one direction, a blowout in the other direction. For as much as we were throwing dirt on the Lightning, is this roughly an even series now?
0: Um, I, I think you have to consider it that way when you're looking at Tampa just because they never go away. I mean, they, they just – we talked about this last week, Tim. They are the Michael Myers of the National Hockey League. They just seemingly get back up, and it's usually driven by the Kucherovs and the Stamkoses of the world. And, of course, the pinball flipper legs of Vasilevsky made another huge save in the game last night, uh, stopping Comfer. If he doesn't make that save, I, I, it's a different different kind of hockey game. They also had the benefit of a disallowed goal, right? And the Chushkin had one overturned for offside. And and when you look at these kinds of things, it it just shows you how close it can be. You know, a couple things go the other way. Maybe it's a different hockey game. But I think if the Avalanche want to come back and not make this an even series and find a way to wrap this up, which is, you know, a long ways off because Tampa is not going to go away easily. It's a 2-1 series now. It's probably even closer to tied than 2-1 based on how they played last night. And I would think that they have to find a way to win the next game to make it a 3-1 series, because if the abs do not do that and it's tied up, well, we've seen this fish just a series ago whenever they came roaring back against the Rangers. And I know Colorado is not the Rangers. They're a very good hockey team. They're very deep. But, uh, you know, all it takes is Tampa to become Tampa and to start rolling along. And it seems as if those guys felt snubbed in some way. I looked at a lot of the post-game interviews and Stamkos on down through anyone else I heard from seemed to feel disrespected based on the way the media coverage of the first couple of games went. And they talked a lot about, we know what's in our locker room and we know, you know what we've done and we know what lies ahead. So this is kind of a true Myers situation. You've got to make sure you put them down for the count here sooner rather than later. Cause if this series drags on further, I feel like the lightning may nose ahead and boy, who would have thought that was the case? Where where it looked like Colorado was just such a strong team against them, even though they did come back and have to fight for that game one. The way the or the way the Lightning would not lie down.
2: I got the impression Stamkos was kind of uh, a little pissy too because people were yep. throwing stuff on the ice.
0: Yeah, I think you're right about that. And, and he was kind of yelling at the crowd as, as soon as the game ended. Well, I mean, he's a pretty. That's one thing I'd say. He's a pretty respectful guy too. I mean, he, he's. In terms of jerks in the National Hockey League, I've never put Steven Stamkos in that category. So something like junk being thrown to the ice would annoy a guy like that. He's, uh, you know, a pro's pro. He's out there. He does things the right way. So I think that that was a a big part of it. Plus, I mean, I know that they're asking the questions that need to be asked, but sometimes, you know, he's answered for a week now about, you know, are you guys done? Do you have anything left in the tank? Boy, is this – did you know you could do this? Did you know you could come back? No, I'm sure that after back-to-back Stanley Cups – he had no no hope in his heart that they would find a way to come back and win a game against the Colorado Avalanche. One thing, though, Tim, if the Avs have any chance in this series, they've got to find a way to manufacture five-on-five five goals because the Lightning have proven that you have to – they're almost unbeatable at five-on-five. Five. Almost every goal against them comes on the power play, and it says their last home five-on-five five goal that they allowed came against the – uh, Toronto Maple Leafs back in round one. They haven't allowed a home five-on-five goal, so maybe the Avalanche could start there with finding a way to knock them off, score at five-on-five. Five.
2: Kucherov went out with an injury. I'm wondering, <laughs> will Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl both lead in postseason points <laughs> between now <laughs> and the end of the series, even though they didn't even play, what, in a semifinal or in a final Uh, to to get to the Stanley Cup because they've still got, what, 33 points for McDavid, 32 for Dreisaitl, Kucherov's at 26. Makar actually uh, might have the best shot. He's got 26 points as well, depending on how long uh, Kucherov is out. And then Zabinijad actually with 24.
0: Yeah, I would think if the uh, series drags on, Makar would have a pretty good chance at it. And same with Kuch if he comes back in. And, you know, people always joke about the the Conn Smythe being awarded to the team that lost the Stanley Cup. Maybe we'll see the first time in history, Tim, where a, a guy that didn't make it past the conference final gets awarded the Conn Smythe Trophy. What do you think?
2: Well, I hope it's Stamkos, because even though I picked the Colorado Avalanche to win the series, I put a little on Stephen Stamkos to win at plus 2,000 for the Conn Smythe. And he might Ooh. be creeping up, Mets, Um at plus two thousand. We've got seventeen points, he's got ten goals and seven assists. And right now I think from a Tampa Bay standpoint it's him or Vasilevsky,
0: don't you? Oh yeah, they're they're definitely. And when you look at this situation, they don't always just go with the highest point scorer. I mean, if you look at the Penguins second Stanley Cup back in twenty seventeen of those back to backers, Sidney Crosby won his back to back con Smythe in those situations, and it was Gino that led the team in scoring. So maybe you do see Stamkos get awarded that uh, at this point could almost be a lifetime achievement for him if they win or lose, because he he is the driving force for that team. And he has truly been a guy that has scored some big goals for them. I mean, the goal, the goal that he scored last night, even though, um, you know, they put up all of those goals on the abs, that may have been the biggest goal of the game. Would it make it four two, if I'm not mistaken? And it was a great play and it kind of put the nail kind of in the coffin for that game. He has done that all playoffs long. He's had a resurgence season. He's had a career-type year. Um, And when you look at it that way, I I think that he could be a very deserving Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Now, if he wouldn't win it and they gave it to Vasilevsky, I don't think he can go wrong with that. Almost every series, he's made one to two of those eye-popping, boy, that's a game-saving type of save. He made that one on Comfort last night. With the big leg kicking out, he did it in the last round. I'm sure that each each of the the series that I've watched, he's had at least a couple of those where you think he's dead to rights, and then all of a sudden this big uh, pillow comes out of nowhere to make the save. So, but I, I think your tooth, your plus two thousand on Stammer, that's a good one there, Tim. And I'm I'm pulling for you because that would be a nice uh, a nice pad to the to the Ben's bank account if that comes through. And there there probably aren't many more guys that. Are in that conversation that that would be shocking if he wanted. I, I think he has had that kind of playoff.
2: Yeah, I think it's McCarr right now if the Avs win it. Yes, sure. agreed.
0: Uh, yep.
2: And some people have said he's the best offensive defenseman and best skating defenseman, maybe since Bobby Orr. Uh, I don't know if that's heaping too much praise, but it ain't far off. Uh, I know if you look at two way guys, Lidstrom certainly comes to mind between yep. uh, Orr and now, but. Scoring wise, Paul Coffey, maybe, but I mean, McCarr has such incredible offensive talent, and I think he's the biggest reason why things looked as lopsided as they did in that second game because he was so good at getting it out of the zone and keeping it in the offensive zone against the Lightning. That was the big thing, Mets.
0: No, I agree. And I feel like he is the serpentor of defensemen. They went and gathered the DNA of all these old great offensive guys and uh you know they maybe it's dr mindbender from gi joe built him and when you look at it he skates like the wind he has so many great offensive skills he can stick handle in a telephone booth his passing is top notch he can score goals he can do everything and i i kind of hate when a guy's been in the league just a handful of years and you start hearing every broadcaster and commentator talk about Boy, you know he, he's he's maybe as good as Bobby Orr. Well, he has a long way to go. However, he really is in that conversation. The way he plays the game, we have not seen a, a defenseman with so so much of a a great offensive skill set while still being able to play on the defensive side of the puck. He's he's very wily. He can duck hits. He doesn't put himself in vulnerable positions too often out there and he finds ways to manufacture offense. And it's, a, it's an exciting player to watch. I love watching him collaborate with McKinnon because the way the two of them can skate, everyone talks about the speed of McDavid. Those two both skate so fast, they get into open areas of ice before anybody can even know where they are. I mean, look at the way McKinnon can go around the net with such speed that he's back in the opposite face-off circle, opened up to take a pass usually from someone like Kale McCarr, that they they seemingly are going to be terrorizing the league for years to come, and it's exciting for all involved. I think that this was the best year to have the NHL maybe on more national screens on uh, a a new TV package because they're getting to see McKinnon and McCarr and McDavid and Dreisaitl, but specifically to your original point, uh, Cal McCarr right now does look like he could be in that conversation of being one of the best all-around defensemen we've probably seen in Many, many years. Yeah, and the ratings are through the roof. Did you see that report? I didn't read the report, but I've seen headlines about it. Yeah, it's, it's exciting for them. I mean, that's what you need to see. And hopefully, that's good news league-wide that maybe it starts to impact the salary cap a little bit because we've been so stunted with the pandemic years that it screwed a lot of teams in terms of what they needed to do. And I think that they all anticipated by this point, without a pandemic having – five six ten million dollars more on the salary cap which would have helped every team in the league and instead they're getting a million here two million there so maybe going into maybe next season beyond this one two years from now maybe that cap jumps based on what they've been able to accomplish with their TV ratings
2: Mets right now this game four is practically dead even Uh, just to take the win forget the puck line it's minus 110 for the Avs it's minus 106 for the Lightning how do you see it going
0: I, I think on home ice, it's hard to go against the Lightning uh, just based on what they've done there. I told you about the five-on-five five numbers. So if they can stay out of the penalty box and they can play like they did in Game 3, I would feel pretty confident with throwing a couple of shekels on the Tampa Bay Lightning at Amelie Arena. I mean, they've just done a remarkable job there in the playoffs. It's you know what you like to see, a team being tough to beat at home. So I would say at least for Game 4, we talked about it being even. The The odds look like they're even maybe lean in the Lightning's direction just because Amelie Arena, I mean, it's just going to be very tough to beat them there.
2: Over under six right now. The over is at mm-hmm. minus 114. It's a little bit better bargain at minus 106 on the under.
0: Yeah, I think I'd, I'd consider the over again, even with the the goaltending matchup. I mean, Vasilevsky is, even when he's winning games, he's given up a couple. And I know it's up in the air as to which goaltender is going to go for the Avs. But I still believe no matter who's in there, we've seen every goaltender that could possibly play surrender some goals. I I don't know that it's out of the question to have another, you know, 4-3 type game or a 4-4. I don't know. I don't want to say 4-2 because then you're not going to win your over. I I think I would still lean towards, excuse me, lean towards the over and the lightning on uh, in game four.
2: (laughs) Who plays in net for Colorado, do you think?
0: Well, that's the uh, the debate that's going on today. Everybody is saying, well, should you know, has Kemper lost the trust of the coaching staff there? I don't know that he has. I know he wasn't very good in Game Three. I thought he did a a decent job in getting himself back into the into the playoffs after his eye injury in the first couple of games here. But it's kind of hard to go against their young guy. I mean, wasn't isn't he 6-0 and oh now, I think? What, when he's, had to come in? he's not that yeah, young, Renzos. though. They're,
2: they're the same age, aren't they?
0: Yeah, in terms of age, yes. But the, the ridiculous thing, Tim, is they still consider him a prospect goaltender. He was just in the... Uh, and this is a weird Because he was in the but,
2: KHL and in, in the Czech League for so
0: long? Yeah, and what's interesting is he is... Um, last season's Upper Deck Hockey Collection, he was one of the Young Guns cards. So... They are considering he's 32. Him... I know. Well, but here's the even funnier thing to put that in perspective: just in the series two that they had last year, Michael Hauser was a young gun for the Buffalo Sabers, and we all know how old he is.
2: I don't know how old he is. How old is
0: he? Uh, probably around the same age. Yeah, I, I, I know good. he's like, <laughs> I know he's somewhere
2: around his 30s, but yeah. I, I just
0: I, I, when I said that, I just meant because he's been bouncing around forever. And he finally got that cup of coffee to come up and play against the hometown Penguins last year. And he got shelled, if you remember. And uh, everyone was talking about he's like the oldest rookie ever. And it was funny to see him get a young guns card because, you know, that that's what they do. Whenever a team doesn't have uh, a number of really good prospects in a particular set, that's what you see happen.
2: Mets, I look at the goaltending for the Avs, and I think to myself, if those guys can do it with the right team in front of them, Tristan Jari can do it for the Penguins. Now they just have to put the Avs in front of them.
0: <laughs> hey, even an Avs goaltender, regardless, can give up a stinging bad goal, Tim, not to rain on the parade. Uh, we, we watched... Grant Fuhr uh, surrender those type of goals over the years. We saw Tom Barrasso do it back whenever he had really good Penguins teams in front of him. However, to your point, I agree. If you have the avalanche in front of Tristan Jari, cup baby, cup baby, cup baby.
2: By the way, uh, Michael Hauser. let's see here. He was uh, – wait, no, that's the musician Michael Hauser. Hold on for a second. <laughs> uh, Michael Hauser is 29 years old right now. There so you go. So he's younger. He deserves – he
0: wasn't into his, his uh, 30s yet, so he deserves a Young Guns card. Yeah, by... Whereas see him, he doesn't deserve
2: one. By comparison, he is technically a Young Gun. Uh, finally, Matt, anything else you're seeing, hearing about the Penguins moving forward in the free agency trade talk? Anything like that?
0: No, it's been uh, kind of ominous in its silence. I anticipated hearing something by now. I mean, I realize we still have a good three weeks or so before free agency kicks off. Um, I still... Uh, believe uh, or have a feeling based on some, some whispers, et cetera, that uh, they're working towards something with Chris Letang. I I guess we'll find out if that happens. And it sounds like it's kind of quiet on the Geno front, even though um, you have KHL executives joining Mark Madden's show uh, pretty recently and talking about, about, uh, talking about this. He was just filling me in on that because I should mention, I saw Mark at the show last night and he gave me the whole lowdown on the KHL's interest in uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, even, <laughs> which was pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> um, but that said, I think that I, I still believe when it when the dust clears, you're going to at least see a pretty solid attempt to keep Chris Letang with a less solid attempt to keep Evgeny Malkin. And hearts will break over the tri-state area because I think that we've probably seen Big 71 play his last game here in Pittsburgh, which is sad for me because I do enjoy Geno. But that said, uh, you got to do what's best for the franchise and I don't think that you're going to find a number that appeases all sides that's going to work in that scenario it's certainly not going to be 9.5 million again but the Penguins can't even afford to give him probably 7 million if they want to flesh out the rest of their roster after potentially breaking a bank in any kind of deal to keep someone like Chris Latang. I still I still think that they will find a way to at least make a solid competitive offer to Raquel as well but I haven't heard anything to that uh, to that extent just yet it's been very quiet.
2: Mets. Thanks. Glad you enjoyed the show. What's next? What's uh, the next concert destination?
0: Well, I know, uh, I'm trying to think what is next on the docket for me. I know you and I are still trying to hammer out some plans to see if we can make a couple things work, but locally here, uh, we just, sadly, we had tickets that were years in the making for Ringo's star and he just had to postpone again, his Pittsburgh date because of COVID. So I think that's not until September I'm planning to see – I was kicking around. This is this is one I was kicking around. I haven't made a decision yet. Sunday night, the uh, Flogging Molly Interrupters yes. show is in town. I keep thinking about going down for that, but I haven't purchased a ticket, and I haven't made that, that call just yet. Tiger Army is what was luring me in because I've never seen them, and I've always wanted to, and they're opening that one up. But uh, in terms of true tickets, August will be the busy month because we have the Molly Crue show with um, Def Leppard and Poison and Joan Jett. We also have Metallica that month. I have a uh, high lung show that's going to be coming up, which is a weird uh, band that I'll have to introduce you to at some point. They're going to be at stage AE. And I know I have something else, but I, I can't put my finger on it right now. We're oh, try- Black Label Society and Anthrax. Yep, that's coming as well.
2: And we're trying to track down the potential of maybe getting out to Hershey for Greta Van Fleet and Rival yes. Sons. That's... Uh... And, and that's going to be as much, Matt, as, as much as I like those two bands about getting out to Trogues Brewery as well. So we'll have to hit that. Which
0: up. Trogues is fun. I was up there a few years ago prior to the world going bonkers for one of Slayer's final dates. They played uh, where the, the Hershey Bears play. And we went to Trogs that day ahead of the show, got a little bit of Dreamweaver, uh, Dreamweaver fresh from the. From the taps, that was pretty good. Sampled a couple other things. And they have a huge Bavarian pretzel that you'd probably enjoy, Tim.
2: Brian Metzer from the Pittsburgh Penguins (laughs) Radio Network. You can check him out during intermissions, post-game, Penns Live Weekly, and, of course, right here on the Weekly Hockey Podcast. All right, so my thanks to Brian Metzer for the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Mike Pursuta coming up tomorrow. He had a big night on Tuesday as well. Just like me, we will bask in our glory and then we'll look ahead to the next game in the finals between the Avs and the Lightning. This is the Pittsburgh City Cast, and it's brought to you by BetRivers. Rivers.